Okay. So, before we start, you got any questions or comments or anything? We <clears throat> somebody sum up where we what we're doing. Right in the middle of Genesis 26, we're almost actually almost done with Isaac's life in uh, 20. We're in 26. Right? Yeah, that's right. We did the first half last week. Remember what was going on? Isaac was. Blessed of God, of course, the inheritor of Abraham's promise. And, of course, we know that Abraham's promise is a direct, directly fulfilled in Christ. And so it applies to all of us. It's not just history. <clears throat> but uh, remember what happened. He went down to uh, the Philistine territory, famine in the land. He was going to go to Egypt. God stopped him. Just giving you a quick review. Um, what happened? They were pushing him off of the wells. Remember, we saw that he was digging a well, he'd find water, settle there, and they would come and they'd push him off off the land, all that. Um, what we saw was God's God's blessing, even through uh, times of oppression, times of trial, times of persecution, or or whatever. Uh, the the blessing of God on his life was based on the promise of the seed. And even though he did go through those times of trial and hard, you know, sufferings and lots of things going on in his life, God still continued to bless him, be with him and provide for him. Well, this week is really, I should have took the whole chapter as one section, but it was just way too many verses. So the second section of chapter 26 is, it's all about really the whole chapter, but this section is all about God's presence being with him. And by extension, he's, of course, we know that he's with us through in the new covenant. And we'll talk about that a, a little. But you ever say, uh, may God bless you or something like that to somebody? Well, God bless you, whatever. Um, or God be with you or something like that. What do we mean when we say, well, God be with you or God bless you or Whatever. I mean, not bless you like when I sneeze, but you know what I mean when I say like, you know, well, God bless or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're asking for God to provide for people. You're asking God, you know, telling them that you're wishing them God's blessing on their life. Well, we're going to see what that looks like here in, in Isaac's life at the end of 26. Um but we also are going to look at the fact that uh, the fulfillment of God's presence with us is in Jesus Christ. It's in the Holy Spirit. It's in the salvation that, that he offers. Any questions? Y'all don't make me lecture you 45 minutes. Please talk to me today. All right. So God's people, uh, basically, the start off... I want you to see that God's people, that's us, who, who's ever in Christ, we have the promise of God's presence. Remember what Jesus said? I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Hebrews quotes Joshua says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God's presence is always, always with us. In verse uh, 23 is where we left off, I think, in chapter 26. Uh, remember, he had, been, he had moved, he dug a well, then they pushed him off and he moved. He dug a well, pushed him off, moved. And now in verse 23, in, right before this, he dug a well and nobody came and contested the well and he was happy. He said, God has given us room and they settled right there and then verse 23 says and he went up from thence to Beersheba now 
The first question that I have is, why did he move? Remember, the last thing we saw was he was at peace. The Philistines left him alone. He was far enough out where he God had given him room. Why did he get up and move? And I don't have a definite answer for you. All I can tell you is what I think. But I want to know kind of what you think as well. Um, the first couple things you probably need to know is that, remember, we've seen Beersheba before, right? What, what happened there? Mm, no, not at Beersheba. Abraham was at Beersheba, remember? Abraham, that's the place where Abraham made an agreement with Abimelech. Y'all remember in this stuff? Remember he made the agreement to the rights to the well. It's also where Abraham planted the tree thing we saw before. And he says, and he began to call upon the name of the Lord. It was a place where Abraham worshipped. It was a place that was uh, holy to Abraham where he and, he and God uh, met, where he declared the name of the Lord. And so uh, answering the question, why did he move? Really, I have to go back to that. You know, maybe he was going back to his heritage. Maybe he knew that uh, this was the place where my daddy, you know, communed with God. Uh, what do y'all think? I think because they were in a famine, he went back to what he needed. You know, like you said, went back to his to his roots, so to speak. Yeah. She said that because they were in a famine, he just went back to what he knew. You know, knew there was the stuff there. It's very possible. And this is where God is going to appear to Isaac and he's going to reaffirm his promise. The promise to Abraham that, you know, you're going to be a the blessing to the world and uh, the land is going to be yours and seed like the stars of, of the sky. In verse 24, it says, let me just read a couple of these and I'll, we'll talk about it. It says, And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and I will bless thee, multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. For my servant Abraham's sake. So he appears and he really reaffirms the same promise that he gave to Abraham, didn't he? I mean, it's the same. It's really the same thing. He says, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. He is basing the thing on who he is. He's saying, I am the God that your father walked with. I'm the God that your father, that I made promises to your father. He, he's uh, basically what he's saying there is, I'm the promise keeping God. I'm the one who made this promise to your father. I'm the one who was with Abraham when he was going through all these things. I'm the one who promised to give him the blessings that you are, are now enjoying and the blessings that you're going to be promised with uh, in the future. And so what he's doing, really, it seems like to me that he is basing Isaac's uh, trust in what's to come on what God has done in the past, what God has promised to Abraham. You and I, we can look in our own life and you can see that God is, maybe God's moved for you in the past. Maybe he has uh, provided ways uh, for you to you know, whatever he is by his works in, in what he has done in your life. You can look to the future, even if even if what's coming seems, um, I don't know, unbearable or, you know, not able to to you're not able to get through. You understand that because God is who he says he is and because he can do what he has promised to do. He says, my presence is always going to be with you. And that's what he said in verse 24. Isn't it? He said, uh, I am the God of thy father. He said, don't be afraid for I am with you. Now, why would Isaac be afraid? I know I'm asking a lot of questions based on what we did last week. That's what happens when you jump in the middle of a chapter. 
He didn't know what was coming. The Philistines had been pushing him off his wells. I mean, he was in the midst of a famine. I mean, duh, you can just imagine what kind of fears would be going on. Um, there is part of me, though, is thinking, really, what did he have to be afraid of? Because if you remember last week, God provided every step of the way. It's like they pushed him off of, off of one of his wells and then God provided. Bang, there's another one. And he does, it was, there was a famine in the whole land and this one guy, Isaac, and his family is the only ones prospering. It says a hundredfold from the crops that he planted. I mean, all of these things. So really, if you're Isaac, I mean, I'm thinking, what do you have to be afraid of? Obviously, he was afraid of something because he, God told him not to be afraid. But it almost seems, and this is just me talking out loud, I can't prove this, but it almost seems like he's afraid of the what ifs, you know? I mean, God has provided everything that he has needed from the time that he left uh, to try to go to Egypt and ended up in Philistine territory to the time that, you know, he has been pushed out of the city. Remember when Abimelech made him leave? And then now he's, every time he digs a well, they come and take it and claim it. Every time God has been faithful, God has been faithful to provide for him and his family, to provide for the promise that he's given. It almost seems like if I'm counseling Isaac, I'd be like, I mean, what are you scared of? I mean, God has done for you more than you can imagine. But it's almost like Isaac is scared of, he's got the what if syndrome. That's what I call it. You know, he's just scared if, what if this happens? What if that happens? I, I mean, I know I'm good. I know I'm doing good now and I know it's okay. And I know I've been provided for, but what if the famine gets worse? You know, what if the Philistines come back? What if they come and try to take over? He's, it's almost scared of the, scared of the what ifs. You know, it's not that he's going through something horrible right now. It's just, he's worried that, you know, it could really turn into something Horrible. Do we go through that? The what ifs? Do y'all fight with the what ifs? That's what I was just telling her. You know, being Isaac, you know, even the moment that the Lord said, Fear not, I'm with me, I'll be the one. But, but, but yeah. Uh, That's know, right. You said to read these in context, and, and, I, and I do, but more than just that, I read going, What's so different from them then and now? Uh -huh. and and, and they're just as human as I am now. Yeah. And, Literally, the moment that the Lord tells me, you know, I'm in this word, and He says, "Fear not." I'm, but what if? You know, but but what if? Yeah. Do you ever? Somebody ever sold you? It's almost like when when you say, you know, as a as a as a pastor and a hospital chaplain, you tell someone when they're going through something. You know, you just need to trust in God. It makes them makes them want to slap you. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> You don't know. You really don't know what I, I mean, it's almost cliche sounded, you know, just, you need to trust, just trust in God. It'd be okay. You know, don't be afraid. It's almost like that's what he's saying. He's God's coming to Isaac and he's saying, you know, don't be afraid. And you thinking, man, that is so easier said than done to not be afraid. It's a, it's for Isaac, the same way as it is for us today, even in the new covenant with indwelled by the spirit, it's a constant battle all the time. Even when, uh, at this point, I'm looking at Isaac's life and God has really delivered him from everything. I mean, every time they've come against him, you're going to see in this section, God's going to really deliver him. 
But even though he's been delivered and everything's good and he's got evidence that God is with him, evidence that God is going to take care of him, it, it's just this constant fight to, to, uh, to trust, to not be afraid, to not be worried about what if this might happen or that might happen, to trust that God knows what he's doing and that God is in control. It's a constant battle, battle with the flesh. So when you, uh, just a little piece of advice for you, if you ever counsel somebody, when you tell them, to trust in God, you make sure you make sure you let them know. Make sure you understand that this is a fight. I mean, the the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to be whispering in your ear all the time, saying you can't trust. It's not going to turn out right. It's not going to be good. He, God, doesn't love you. He's not going to, you know. That it's a constant battle of which voice you're going to listen to, which voice you're going to believe. And God appears to Isaac here at Beersheba and he says, he says, don't be afraid. And he gives him the reason why he should not be afraid. Is it because everything's going to work out just like you like it or everything's going to be fine? Don't worry because it's, uh, you know, everything's going to be, you know, the greatest that it's ever been or, or you're not going to go through any trials or any sufferings or anything like that. No. The reason why you're not afraid, the reason why Isaac was not afraid was why? Because I am with you. He said, because I am with you. It's as simple as that. That's why we were talking about God's presence with his people. Before, in the early part of this chapter, God promised Isaac, I will be with you. And here he says, don't be afraid because I am with you. And later on at the end of this chapter, as we see, we walk through it, the Philistines are going to say, we have seen that God has been with you. So you got past, you got present, and you got future. He says, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Uh, don't be afraid because I am with you. When he, meet, when he says, I'm with you, his presence with you, um, in a sense, we know that God's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. So of course God's with you. But that's kind of not what he's talking about here. He's talking about my presence to bless you and to protect you and to you know, to uh, work all things for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that's exactly what we see happening in, in Isaac's life. He says, I am with you. It, it reminded me of passages in the New Testament about, you know, if God is for you, who can be against you? Uh, you know, who can, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Uh, it, what we're talking about here is not the absence of trials and suffering and tribulations or testings or we're not talking about the absence of suffering in this life because we live in a fallen world. We saw that walking through Genesis. We, we, that's, that's the world that we live in. And so uh, if you're not suffering right now, you know, hang on, it's coming. You know, I don't mean to make your Sunday real good, but this, that's this life. That's what we are. And so it's not an absence of trial or suffering or, or those kind of things, whatever, all that stuff. It is God's presence to work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. Um, you understand? Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? None? Really? That must have been pretty good then, huh? Well, you see, he says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. And then he reiterates the promise that he had been given to Abraham this whole time. In the second part of Jeff, uh, verse 24, he says, he says, I am with you. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply your seed for my servant Abraham's sake. He is, he is giving him the assurance that my promise, the promise that was made 
you know, uh, so long ago. We started, remember, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, and we saw the fall in the garden, and the promise was made when the, when the curse was pronounced. He says, I'm going to send the seed of a woman that's going to crush the head of, uh, of the serpent, and that seed promise, we've watched it move. We've watched it move from Seth to Noah. Noah had the seed promise, and then his son Shem, and then Abraham, and then now Isaac. We're going to watch that seed promise move to Jacob, and then way later on to David, all the way to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, which is that, that promise fulfillment. He says, he says, he gives him comfort and assurance, saying, I, I'm not a God that forgets my promises. I'm not a God. I, I made a promise to Abraham, and, and that promise is going to be honored, and you now hold, because he is the, the seed, the promised seed, you are, you are the inheritor of that promise. And so that promise has come to you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the God that keeps my word, keeps my promise. Man, y'all are quiet. Is I got something behind me or something? Good? Okay. Anything? Nothing? No questions? No nothing? All right. He's powerful to keep his promise. What are some promises he's made to you? Just as, not personally, but just as... Christian, you know, a person who is in Christ, a person who has been born again by the Spirit of God, you, you have you have lots of promises that are for you. You have lots of promises that apply to you. Yeah, but a lot of times you, you think of those things in a different way than probably God means. Like sometimes you think God's promised you something and when it doesn't happen, you're disappointed. Or maybe that was not God's promise at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know through some of the trouble in my life that, that uh, Satan used the story of Timothy being stoned. You know. Timothy? Was it Timothy that was stoned? Stephen. Stephen. Stephen that was stoned. Okay. And Satan would go, hey, he allowed that. So you think that he's going to fix your mess? And I mean, it was a battle. It was a spiritual battle for months. Because every time I go, God's going to take care of that. He said, well, look at Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You might be stoned. You know, I mean, you, you're a mess might not work out anything like you think. And, and that's the God that loves you yeah. and allowed Stephen to be stoned. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that was that was spiritual warfare in itself. But, yeah. I mean, the Lord definitely took care right. of, of everything that he promised he was. But that's something, you know, if, it, if it's in God's word, you can count it's true. Sure. But a lot of times, I think in our human minds, we said and we... We think there's certain things that God's promised that we just won't. Well, you want it specifically a certain way. Right. You know, if God's going to work this out for good, then it's going to work out this way. Right. And when it doesn't work out exactly that way, you think, oh, well, God doesn't know what he's doing or that, that war, that tension goes on. I got a perfect example that I use all the time. I, we, I used to watch that show on ESPN where they... Uh, it's the World Series of Poker where they play the poker and you can, maybe that's not a great illustration for church, but <laughs> you know, but they would show the they would show the cards, you know, whatever. And we were watching there was the finals or whatever, and you know they was gonna win this money as two dudes, and they would pan to the audience. And I know I've said this before, but this guy's wife was in the audience at the World Series of Poker quoting Bible verses about how he's going to win, like saying, no weapon form can come against you and prosper. And I'm thinking, probably not what God meant when he wrote that. You know, might be a little out of context to say you're going to win the World Series of Poker for that. But that's, we have promises like, 
just the ones that come to mind is, well, the one we're talking about here, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I mean, that means that he is going to be with you even through the tough things of life, the sufferings of life, um, and not just with you like, you know, oh, sweetie. You know, it's going to be okay. You know, just buck up, little camper. It's going to be all right. You know, not we're not talking about with you like that. We're talking about that whatever comes to you in this life has passed through the hands of God and it's being used for a purpose. Now, trust me, trust me. I'm as a, as a chaplain in the hospital, I'm not busting into somebody's room going, hey, don't worry. I mean, it's all good. God's using this for good. You know, that's the wrong thing to do. You know that. But if you have that foundation under you before suffering comes, before things go on in your life, you understand that, you know, this stinks and I hate it and I don't understand it and I don't like it, but I have a trust that God knows what he's doing and that this is working for my good because that is a promise that we have in scripture. And so God is the promise keeping God. And he, even with Stephen, where Stephen was concerned and he was stoned, he was also protected. God didn't let him see that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he saw the light. He didn't see yeah. that he was being Well, protected. it did say that he saw, yeah. I saw heaven... And right. one standing. So, you know, he, he didn't actually, I don't know that he, I mean, I don't even think he would have felt it. Honestly. You don't think so? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. know. I don't think I so. I don't know. I mean. We'll ask him one day. Yeah, we'll ask him. Yeah, I'll, we'll definitely ask him. In, uh, in this verse, where are we at? Verse 24, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Isaac trusted. Isaac trusted. Look what it says. Verse 25. He built an altar. He did three things. He built an altar. He called upon the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent. And then he dug a well. Okay? Well, that's actually four things. But three things if you count. Built an altar calling upon the name of the Lord. He builds an altar. He, he listens. God appears to him. Reaffirms the promise. Uh, reaffirms his presence with him. Isaac trusts in that promise. And he plants his roots. He builds an altar there. <laughs> to worship uh, to God, to call upon the name of the Lord, but also as we've seen Abraham build these altars as markers showing that he will one day inherit this land that he is sojourning in. Uh, the second thing he does is he pitches his tent and, and then he digs a well. You know, there's no difficulty or contention over this well, but what, what I see here is that he is putting down his roots. He's not moving anymore. You remember we, the last thing we saw, he, he'd dig a well, they'd come and say, that's our well. And then he'd move. And then he, he'd dig another well and he would come, they would come and say, that's our water too. And then he would move. Well, he's, he's put down his roots now. I'm not moving anymore. I'm staying right here. God has provided room. He has given us this place free of contention. They, the last well that he dug, we saw there was no contention over that. They didn't fight over it. So he settled there. And basically he is... He's saying, you know what? I'm going to trust God and I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right here in the midst of this famine. I'm going to stay right here. Huh? Is he moving further out into the He was in the last day. He's not now, but he was. Yes. I he, a couple of questions. A couple of questions? Are they easy questions? I hope so. Okay. All right. In the previous verses, he named the wells. Yes. He didn't name this one. He didn't name this one. Yes, no, he did not name this one. He built an altar there, called upon the name of the Lord, pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. Okay, what's the question? Why? Why? Oh, I don't know. That'll be one of the things we'll have to ask him. 
Now he named. He named the previous. Well, he named the previous ones based on what was happening. Remember, he named one contention because they strove over it. He named one hatred because they, you know, fighting over it. Then he named one Rehoboth because of uh, the room that God had made for him. Didn't he name it in thirty-three though? That's another well. I believe so. Because look what it says. Um, and it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning a well which they had digged and said unto him, We have found water. Now it might be just a relation of this well. But it seems like it's another. It's a different one. I thought it was a different one. Yeah. I mean, just reading, it seems like it's a different one. Okay? Yes. Well, naming the well, yeah, to say who owns them. And if the previous section said that he was naming them the same thing that his father, Abraham, had named them. And the reason you do that is because as if your father digs a well, you inherit the well when, you, when he dies and you're the firstborn son. And so he was basically showing where it says he named them the same things that his, Abraham did. He was showing his kind of ownership or possession of those wells. And he was showing... When they would come, they would take the well, and he would just move off. Uh, it was showing that he was he was not engaging in in battle with them over these wells that he actually owned that his his Abraham had dug, but he was trusting in God and, and just moving, and God was providing. Would he stake them, or I mean, just to, so if somebody came up there? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and being, we've seen the hospitality laws, so someone would come and, you know, they would be able to drink freely from it. But the point of digging the well was not just to dig a well and keep moving. We're talking about digging the well and then planting your family around them, planting your camp around that well, and that's where you drew water. Remember, we're in the Middle East here, so water's like gold. You know, that's where you can't have a camp. You can't have your people, your servants, your tents, your all that, unless there's a supply of water. And so that's that was the big thing that they were looking for. He had to have water too. With all those livestock that he had. Oh yeah. yeah. Livestock, servants, you had family members, you had, I mean this was a big camp. This was not like three or four dudes with a pop-up tent, you know, by the stream. This was a big operation. And so, what you, what you see there is, uh, what we've seen there is God's presence is with you. God's presence is with though His people. God's presence is with His people. And the next section is it's going to show us that God's presence with his people is always going to be evident to the world. It's always going to be evident. Um, let me try to hurry so I don't know what time it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, verse 26, the Philistines are going to come. Now, then Abimelech, remember Abimelech? Abimelech is not a man's name. It's a title, remember? Like Pharaoh. Is, so, yeah, this is the king of the Philistines here. The Abimelech went to, uh, to him from Gerar. That's where they pushed Isaac from, remember? And Ahuzath, one of his friends or counselors, and Phicol, the chief captain of his army, uh, and Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me? Why have you come to me, seeing you hate me and have sent me away from you? Now, this seems to me like, all right, think about it. Put yourself in this position. Isaac has been pushed off well after well. He finally finds a place where there's no contention and they're going to let him stay there. They're going to let him live there without, you know, messing with him or whatever. And all of a sudden, God appears to you giving you this promise. And then on the horizon, you see the king, the general that runs the army and the chief advisor walking your way. What do you think? Proud. 
they're yeah, they're first to take this one. They're first and, uh, yeah. His reaction here is so different than what we saw in the earlier chapters. It's almost like he has trusted God's promise because God told him, do not be afraid because I'm going to be with you. And ever, ever, all in the previous episodes, he's always just left. You know, okay, you can have the well, whatever. Uh, it looks like, this is just me talking, it looks like he's made up his mind. I'm not going anywhere. I mean, he basically smarts off to the, these guys when they show up. He says, why have y'all come out here? I mean, don't y'all hate me? Y'all sent me away from you. You know, you don't want me around. Why are you coming to visit me? It's almost like he's picking a fight, which I really like. I mean, I enjoy the fact that Isaac has had enough. Uh, he says, why have you come to me? There's no fear, no pleasantries. You know, this is a royal visit here. King Abimelech means my father's king. It's the king of the Philistines. You know, you would think you give him a royal welcome or something. There's none of that. He said, what are y'all doing here? What are you doing? You know, somebody comes to your door. Hey, how are you? What are you doing here? I mean, it's like there's no fear whatsoever. It's almost like he's reached his limit. I'm not going anywhere. They're not going to push me off. I'm trusting in God. God's given me his promise and that's it. Now, what you expect is bad. But look at what happens in verse 28. It says, and they said, we saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. Just like he said, I will be with you. And the Philistines says, we saw for certainty that he was with you. We saw that God was with you. And he says, and we said, let us be now an oath betwixt us, between us, even us and thee. And let us make a covenant with you that thou will do us no hurt as we have not touched thee. And as we have done unto thee nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. Basically, they say, we want to make a deal with you because we've seen that God is with you and we want you to treat us peacefully just like we've tre treated you peacefully. Have the Philistines treated him peacefully? No. Well, sort of, but they not really. Him. Not really. Yeah, they didn't kill him. They didn't. Uh, Abimelech chased him out of town, you know, and then every time they dug a well, he... They would come and claim that well and push it, uh, push him further, further and further and further and further. But they understand that because of the things that he has endured, they see that they can't stand against the Lord. They can't stand the word Lord there translates the word Yahweh. Remember when we talked about the Lord in the Old Testament, the capital L-O-R-D always translates the word Yahweh. They say, we see this God that you serve, this, this Yahweh that you serve. And we, we can't stand against him. We've seen that he's blessed you. He's been with you. And every time something bad has happened, every time a trial or, you know, the Philistines have come to take a well or, or, or something like that and you pushed him off uh, of the land that he had, every time that's happened, you've been blessed. Remember, there's famine. Everybody else is under famine conditions. And he, this guy's being blessed for some unknown reason. And no matter what they take from him, it always seems like God provides for him. Uh, it always seems like God is there to fix or to, to, to make good come out of the situation that he's in. And when they realize that they just can't fight against, they can't fight against this, whoever this God is that's for Isaac. So they want to come and make a covenant with him. They want to, they want to uh, 
basically want to save their own skin. They want to make sure he's not going to rise up and get them because if he does, this God who's with him has proven himself. Um, that's also something that you and I need to understand as we go through, you know, things of this life. You know, just wh whether it comes to normal things, just the everyday grind of this life or the, the little trials and things that we have to go through. Or whether it's something huge, some big test, some big tribulation or, or suffering that comes into your life. Uh, the reality is one of the ways, and I can't say it's always, but one of the ways that God uses these things for our good and for the good of his kingdom is that other people see how God blesses through trials. Um, other people see how the world sees how you and I react to these things, how God delivers us from these things in the sense that uh, we take a licking and keep on ticking, you know, as the old commercial says. Um, these things are used. That, that's one of the things that is so hard for us to get into our minds. Me too. I mean, this all of us is that this life is it's really not about you. It's not about me. It's not about me having a good life and enjoying everything and it's not about that at all it's about God glorifying himself <clears throat> and God is going to glorify himself and as <laughs> believers followers of Christ we should that should be our highest priorities God glorify your name God glorify yourself uh, expand your kingdom and if that means that I have to go through some suffering I mean I should be willing to go through some suffering now that's a whole lot easier said than done. Now, if you ask me today, well, Jason, God will sure be glorified and give you this. I'd be like, whoa, give me some time to think about it. Let's not get a let's not get a bus load up right here. But you remember in John chapter nine, the guy's blind and they, they asked Jesus, why? Why? Who sinned that this guy is born blind? His parents sin or did he sin? He said, no, neither. He said this happened so that God would be glorified, yeah. so that the father would be glorified. And so a lot of times we, uh, I'm just speaking for me, uh, I'll focus on my circumstances, the things in my own life, and I'll say, you know, this just ain't fair. This is just not fair. Why is this happening to me? And those are natural, normal questions to ask when suffering hits or something like that hits. But the reality is we need to have the foundation under us before that comes that understands that, that this life is not about me being quote unquote happy it's about me finding my joy in Christ no matter what my circumstances are does that make sense mm -hmm. at the risk of giving you a bunch of cliches it's uh, Isaac is trusting that God is able and the Philistines see that God is able this doesn't mean that Isaac has never had trial I mean he has been pushed off I mean, he's had suffering the whole time. He's been childless for 20 years, right? We just saw he had the twins, Esau and Jacob, in, in the previous section. But before then, he 20 years prayed. It says he prayed for Rebecca for 20, for 20 years, no kids. Same as Abraham, 25 years, no kids. Uh, and so he's known suffering. He's known heartache. He's known these things. It hadn't, it's not just like Isaac is, you know, he's bebopping along and life is wonderful and I'm blessed. So everybody else, you know, forget y'all. Y'all are having a famine or whatever. He's known suffering in his life. He's known trials, known tribulations. And the peace with God and presence of God is not the absence of those things. It's that God is, God is with me. Y'all with me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, to end this thing up, he says they want to make a covenant. They want to make 
terms of peace. You know, they're afraid. They're afraid that, you know, he's going to uh, rise up and attack them or whatever. And so Isaac, being the good-hearted guy that he is, he says, he uh, he does it. He says, what verse am I in, Dick? I was trying to stall while I found my verse. It says... Uh, yeah, he says, Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. Verse 29. They recognize that he is the seed. He is the one that's the blessed of the Lord. And verse 30. And he made them a feast, a covenant feast, and they did eat and drink. And they rose up betimes in the morning and swore one to another. They gave their oaths to one another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Did you notice Isaac sent them away? That's the same thing that it said earlier when it says they sent him away from their city. Now they're coming to Isaac and Isaac sent them away. Of course, not in the same context. They made an oath. Isaac promises he's not going to attack them and take over their land or anything like that. But they make an oath of peace together. And he was also more hospitable. You know, he fed them and made sure that they... Yeah, he took care, care of, of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the last three verses, it says, and this is this is really the amazing part for me. It may not be that amazing to you guys. But now at this point, if the chapter ended, right, in verse 31, and that was it, it would be like it would be like the end of the story. And remember, you know, the, the stories and they lived happily ever after. Yeah. You know, it was all good. Well, see, if it ended at 31, everything's good. Isaac is now at peace. He's not affected by the famine because God's with him. He is finding, he has found his well, so he's got water. He's blessed. Uh, he's prosperous. Uh, also, now he's at peace in the land because the Philistines aren't going to be taking any more wells. They're not going to be doing all the things that they've been doing because now they have a covenant. It's like everything is finally the way it's supposed to be. But what I want you to see here in these last three verses is that the presence of God with his people is even in times when things are good. We, we often think about God's presence. Oh, God, be with me when things are bad and things are terrible and suffering's going on and we don't understand why this is happening. And a lot of times we... We forget that God is with us in the good times. You know, it's easy when you're blessed and everything's fine. It's easy to get lazy on God and kind of forsake your prayer life or your Bible study or, or your, you know, just seeking God's will or whatever. It's usually in times of suffering that we straighten up and say, God, I need you. But when, when everything's good and, you know, I'm just in the recliner watching a football game and everything's fine and no big pressures, no sufferings, no things are going like that, it's easy to, it's easy to forget forget that it's God with you that has given you this this blessing this whatever and so they're at peace last three verses it says and he called into and he called it Sheba therefore the name of the city is Beersheba Beersheba in Hebrew means well of the oath or well of swearing and that's where the oath was swore and so that's why they named it Beersheba and so unto this day and Esau was oh no that's a no, I skipped one, didn't I? 32. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged and said unto him, We have found, we have found water. And then he called it Sheba, Beersheba, unto this day. So even after everything's fine, they already got a well. They already got blessings. They're already at peace in the land. Here God's presence blesses them again with 
another well with water. Uh, now, for us, it's like, yay, you know, water. But for them, you need to understand this is this is the source of life. Got to have it or you're all going to die. Those last two verses begin the next section in uh, 27. So we'll do them next week. But what we what we see here, just summing up real quick, is that uh, God's presence is promised to his people. It's promised to Isaac. As we saw God promise it, it's also promised to you as the New Testament church, as uh, those who are in Christ, God's presence with you. Jesus himself, I will be with you even to the end of the age, you know, and uh, I'll never leave you, forsake you. I, we can go through this bunch more in the New Testament. Uh, his presence is always with you, whether you are suffering and going through the hardest time you've ever had, whether you're in uncertain times in your life and you don't know what's going to happen or what's going to, God says, you know, I can't tell you what's going to happen. This is what I say. I can't tell you what's going to happen. I can't tell you how it's going to work out, but I can tell you that God is going to provide everything that you need. He may not provide a limousine or Rolls Royce or the things that you might want, but he's going to provide everything that you need. He does not let his children um, go hungry. You put it that way. Uh, his presence is going to be with his people. And the second thing is that it's noticeable to the world that his presence is with his people. So when you go through things, when you have these issues, when you have these, these things, understand that God is showing himself to the world through you, whether it be through suffering, whether it be through trials, whether it be through good times and the things that you're blessed with. God is showing himself to the world through you. And most of us, if we would think about it for a minute, we, we could say, you know, if God came to you on the front end and said, okay, Jason, I'm going to make you go through this hard, hard thing. But because of this hard thing, these people are going to come to know me and they're going to be part of my kingdom. I believe if we're born again, if we're, if we're focused on the mission of Christ, most of us would say, okay, you know, it's worth it. It's worth it for me to go through this knowing that I'm going to come out on the other end, knowing that these people are going to come to, to know Christ because of what I... It, it, it's worth it. Well, God most, most often doesn't come and give us his plan. You know, he doesn't come and tell us that on the front end. But he has told us that uh, all the things that you're going through or you're going to go through are working out for good for those who love God and are called according to, the to his purpose. He's in control. And we need to also understand, last thing, that his presence will always be with his people. There's not a time, even when, even, I can say it this way, even when his people get lazy, you know, and it happens to me just like it happens to y'all when everything's good, no worries, no, it's easy just to, it's easy to get lazy on God. It's easy to, to relax and not have to seek him or to try to commune with him or try to press into him. It's easy to do that when everything's good. Uh, even in those times, God's presence is going to be with his people. Any questions? Comments? Nothing? <laughs> Nothing at all. No application. I want a good comment. Oh, well, thank you. All right. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll go get ready for service. Father, we love you, God. We thank you that your presence is promised.